Hello and welcome to the Movie Gang Podcast. We're going to be taking a look back today at an older film for one of our uh, Evergreen episodes. Uh, this week we decided to take a look at Adaptation. And uh, joining me here on the cast today is Peter Dancy. Glad to have you on, Peter. You I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm a little tired because I just got back from work and I've been at work all day. But other than that, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And um, the lovely Sarah Becker, whose internet I am filching off of in order to be here myself. Sarah, how are you doing? <laughs> Not too bad. Engaged in, the, in a bit of the day drinking today, but had a nap. Good Jealous. <laughs> I wish I could have a drink right now to go with this movie because there's a lot in it. Um, oh I hope you God, guys so are ready to have a deep conversation. Uh, <laughs> this movie is so heavy. Um, I actually wanted to start us out with a summary for this one, just to go ahead and break it down and give us a starting point this time. Yeah, please um, do. Because this is a movie essentially that is about itself. Um, <laughs> Very meta. Uh, so Very meta. meta very very all the meta um it's about the uh, struggle of the neurotic screenwriter of the movie charlie kaufman who is played by nicholas cage of um, all people right and adapting a book with virtually no narrative into a hollywood movie as he's tormented by his twin brother who is also played by nicholas cage and uh, his very smooth success with both storytelling and relationships and they kind of find the solution to deal with the problem by writing himself into the story. And um, it just kind of goes off from there. So what do you guys think? I mean, it's kind of weird. I, I know um, we had just, at the time of recording this at least, seen uh, Kubo recently, which is all about, like, stories. And, you know, we, we all gave that a pretty positive review because it's mm -hmm. about, like, uh, stories as... Uh, like very classical, like hero's journey type stuff, um, and more of looking at storytelling as like an overall positive experience. This one, I feel like more is like pulling at more of a negative side of that. Like, uh, you know, the the main content that the screenwriter has character at the beginning is like, oh, I don't want to write just another Hollywood story, and that's kind of what he ends up doing by the end with the third act, with all the car chases and the guns and like he was saying, yeah. the romance. So, I don't know what you guys think about that. This, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, like I just thought this movie was rather like very intriguing. I mean, and I I I remember like I remember when the I remember when the credits started rolling. I and I, I kind of felt the same way. Like I kind of felt this way like halfway through. Like 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 looking at Wikipedia, it, it was it was it was billed as a comedy meta meta film. And while there were certainly funny moments, I was just like, where's the comedy? This is more of a drama to me. So, but then like taking everything in it, it was confusing at times but it was intriguing and and, and and just and just because of because of how they weave together like like the different storylines of this of this is happening in the present this is happening six this is happening three years ago this is happening six months ago this is happening two years ago that kept me interested in like in in, in finding out like when it Technically, it started with with with, uh, with Kaufman like writing himself into the film and how and how everything played out. Right, it gets a little confusing because they also have like the parallel story going at the same time of the author whose book he is trying to adapt, played by Meryl Streep, and right. uh, her fascination with um, the Orchid Thief, who becomes the subject of her book, uh, who's played by Christopher Cooper. He got an Academy Award for this, actually. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he I think he won a uh, Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really like him in this. Uh, 
buck teeth and all. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neural, a neural rather stream. lack of teeth. Rather, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I disagree. I think the humor in this is actually part of what drew me to it and what I like about it most. Um, it is a very like weird humor. Like it, it all yeah. depends on that meta quality of it. And um, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's kind of dark. Like there are a lot of just kind of jokes that could be, like you go back and you look at the trailer for this movie that came out in like 2002 and it kind of plays up that angle a lot. Like there's mm -hmm. a Nick um, Kaufman's twin brother um, saying like, oh, the script kind of makes fun of me, huh? Like when he finally uh, shows him his script um, and he's written him, both of them into it. And um, I don't know, I, I love some of those moments though. Like whenever he goes to the uh, screenwriters convention and the guy's talking about structure and he's just like narrating in his head the whole time all his problems that he's having and then out like, of adapting nowhere, the thing. and, and don't the you dare do self-narration god help you if you use narration in your work you know it's lazy it's just yeah <laughs> i don't know i guess part of me relates to that too i, I, was, I had trouble coming up with how to like even talk about this movie <laughs> essentially too like but i don't know yeah, I, I I really like this movie, and uh, to be honest, I hadn't heard about it before we decided to um, do a podcast on it. Same, me but, too. But um, as I was watching it, I felt like it was it's surprisingly relatable to millennials or people who maybe just in general are still kind of trying to figure out where they are in life. Like his Nick Cage's narration over the opening credits. Just as that was happening, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a screenwriter screen. myself. Yeah. But yeah, I was thinking like, this is what goes through my head every morning. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh, that's dark. Yeah, but you know, it it is what it is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I like the film. I think um, I was a little bit confused by all of the time jumps, but at the same time, the way it happened did make sense with the story so it it's it's a movie that i would need to watch again and i'm i would be happy to watch again i it i enjoyed the dark humor that happened and it was also you know kind of a real story i think with the exception of all the car chases and shoot 'em ups at the end oh yeah that that's when it got crazy and i was like okay this is like this is the clearly the fictitious part well, yeah, what do you guys think about that? Because that's actually a, a criticism that you could make of this film is that it, it um, kind of throws away all that it promises to do and, and it ends up being kind of hypocritical in that in that respect is that um, he starts off saying that he doesn't want it to have all those things and all of the things that he's named that he doesn't want to write in the movie end up happening. And we know that he does later record them. So mm. do you think that, like... Kaufman fails to make a movie that's just about flowers, which is kind of what he sets out to do? Or do you think that that's his way, by inserting himself into it, he's kind of navigated around that? Because he still needs, like, the car chases and the action and the romance to make, like, to give us that third act and give us that, like, catharsis and that satisfaction of the movie. So, like, you could say that he's failed to do what he's set out to, if you, if you want, but... And yet it functions as a commentary that by adding these scenes into the end of the movie, arguably it would do better in Hollywood. Although I realize it's not really that kind of film in the first place. I don't know. It's, it gets very, very meta, and I'm not mm. sure how to handle it. Well, that's part of the essential <laughs> conflict of the whole film with like him having a uh, twin brother. Um, and that is his twin brother um, kind of represents the more traditional um, you know, hero's journey, 
fitting these beats in this order exactly three act hollywood structure approach to storytelling and whereas he kind of sees writing and storytelling as just this journey into the unknown and um <laughs> he he says like i looked into the blackness and all i saw like i didn't he, he doesn't come away with anything that he's actually able to put on a page so he kind of fails to do that and so he's he's kind of learning to compromise and so I don't know, I think that is something that the film gives you in the end, is that, that it is kind of a compromise. Like, um, I think the, the biggest um, potential problem I would have with that is that uh, he goes from being a uh, kind of an awkward creep to uh, mildly successful with his would-be girlfriend in uh, very quickly, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about that last scene is that at first it goes exactly how you would expect that to in real life, where he's, uh, he's approaching his would-be girlfriend who he's kind of failed to get anywhere, anywhere with before. And um, this is right after she's gotten back with a trip, uh, from a trip with uh, another guy. Right. That, and she, she says, I'm in a relationship. Why are you doing this? It's really awkward. And then, and then she turns around and says, yeah, you know, like, I, yeah, love you too. I love you too. And, and it's just, it's this really weird moment. And that's kind of the end of his story. Um, but it's not where the movie ends, because then we get that last shot of the uh, the time lapse of the flowers. Yeah, the flowers. Think, yeah, that's the essential difference. Is that like we we get that, and it's like I, I don't know. I think it comes back to what um, the guy says at the conference to him. It's like your characters need to change, and so by the screenwriter of this movie writing this character of him, caricature of himself, essentially, where he gives him that himself that quality that he's actually able to go from just being a complete self-losing creep in the beginning to like having some redemption in the end that he's giving himself like that that hope and that like contention that he can change by the end of it and so that's that's why that moment even though it is kind of cheesy and it doesn't work for me i guess that's what it's trying to do i don't know but like it comes back to another another moment in the film whenever meryl streep is talking about uh adaptation essentially uh, and she makes a lot of like metaphorical points about flowers that don't quite all tie into the theme together and some of you can kind of take them or leave them but um there's another one she says where she says um like adapting is like shameful for humans whereas for plants it's more natural and like uh, oh yeah and like you can't help changing like she has there's another we see that scene of her lying awake with her husband uh, a couple different times, and she's talking about uh, the inevitability of change for herself, kind of. And, like, characterizing her affair is this thing that she can't really help either. So I think like, that's part of the same thing. But uh, I don't know. Do you guys think that theme is, like, part of this movie? It's, like, it's trying to talk about whether people can change or not? I don't know. I, I, I would kind of say so. I mean, or, or 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 at the very least, hoping that you can change. I mean, I mean, I know, I know for me, and I know for me with my life to to, to kind of go back to what you were talking about earlier, Zero. Like you know, like what like what am I doing with my life? Like like I know I have my I know I have my moments where where I'm thinking, you know, okay, well, yes, I just came out of this situation where I totally bombed and totally totally like ate shit. Um, but but you know, but you know, but what what if I was somehow able to go back and do and do better and do it like this because I know because I know what I should have done. But, you know, like, so I, I, I guess, I guess I can understand, um, I, I, I can kind of understand that, that, that notion of, of like, you know, what, of what if you could like really change for the better and, and what if you could kind of write yourself, like write yourself to do that. 
so I guess I, I guess in, I guess in that sense I can understand it, but I but I can certainly understand the understand, understand the criticism of it. Let me uh, let me let me put it in this terms. Do you guys think because it's pretty obvious that the main character changes by the end of the movie? Do you guys think that um, the author Meryl Streep's character Susan uh, changes by the end of it? Well, I mean, she goes from you know being a a writer and a housewife to be to having an affair with a flower thief and doing <laughs> drugs and trying to kill Nicolas Cage and his brother. Right. So, oh yeah, total turn. Yes. <laughs> I would I would argue the opposite. I don't know. I think I mean she does obviously her life like um goes to shit real fast and goes completely out of her own control in a way that it hasn't before. But I think it's the the contrast between her and and him is that like she her change is artificial in a way because that's that's why she wants to kill him in the first place she can't stand the thought of everybody finding out what mm. she's really been doing mm. for the past few you know three years essentially which is kind of the weird part of this film where you realize that this has been going on for three years when the timelines right. sync up mm-hmm. but she's been flying down to florida to see him um for that long and just kind of leading this double life and how um for her it's always been about you know trying to find something to be passionate about. It's this really vague idea that kind of holds the movie together. It kind of reminds me of American Beauty a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which I think bothered me a little bit more on this time around. But then, yeah, there's like that great line where he calls her out on it. Um, LaRoche, the guy she's writing the book about, says, you know, you just take on my obsession because you don't have one. And like it's like living vicariously a little bit. And I think when it comes to the drugs especially, um, that's kind of what sustains her. And as much fun as it is to see Meryl Streep high, that's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, kind of what sustains her through it, I think. And it's not so much about like the drugs um, being like the negative impetus for that. It's just being another thing that kind of attaches her to him and, and allows her to like keep that double sense of herself that she has something in her life that is that fascinating and that uh, passionate that she can commit herself to. When it, it is kind of just this vague thing that doesn't really manifest itself anywhere in reality. And that's why I love the ending scene whenever um, in, in the swamp, the, uh, the deus ex machina alligator comes up and kills LaRoche. <laughs> and um, you know she's crying, she's obviously very upset um, but, um, you know, she's just angry also at the same time at, um, at Kaufman for just bringing all this, you know, complication into her life essentially by having to get involved and, and causing all this. And in response, he just like, he kind of, it, it's a crucial moment for him too. Cause he kind of gets worked up enough to actually call someone else on her, sh- on, on their shit when he's been this, uh, very reserved, uh, neurotic sort of guy for the rest of the time. And he says, you're just a lonely old drug addict. And that's when she really just breaks in that scene. Mm-hmm. And she just starts to moan like a little child. And that's, I think that's, for me, that moment is really important because it's kind of her seeing that it has been like an illusion sort of uh, for her of changing at that point. And that's all we get of her. That's the last scene that we see with her. You know, it's, it's less about her than it is uh, him, which is a great, great parallel, and I think the genius of the structure of this movie, as confusing as it maybe can be at times, is that um, the Orchid Thief, the book, the the screenwriter finds as he's like trying to adapt it, is really more about the authors of the book's experience than it is 
the, the orchid thief himself that she's writing about. It's more about her fascination with him than it is about his fascination with flowers. And the same thing goes for the screenplay. It's more about the screenwriter's fascination with the book than it is the author herself of the book, or, you know, LaRoche, which gets killed off by, a, again, a deus ex machina alligator that just comes out of nowhere. So um, I think that's what is the genius of it for me and what I really like about it. But um, I, I do think um, maybe something that the film kind of risks along as it, as it does that with all those layers is that it just throws in a lot of kind of throwaway metaphor, very vague kind of inspirational points too. Like whenever, uh, how, what did y'all think about the, uh, whenever LaRoche is describing the, um, the orchids to Susan for one of the first times during the exhibit and it just cuts away to this really like shiny birds and bees metaphor, oh, like the yeah, soulmate flowers yes. and all yeah, the, that. The orchids look like an animal, and the, and the they look the animal that's that's supposed to come to it, and the and the and the flower doesn't know the flower doesn't know that it, that it, that, it's, that it's actually helping like, you know sustain everything and blah blah blah. And this is really grand, mm -hmm. right? Like that moment is a little painful, and I think I don't know what bothered me more about this watch through than the first one I had um, like years ago when I was just impressed with it the whole time is like how just kind of hippy dippy ish that sounds and how kind of naive it is at the same time and um i think and th this is this is what i want to think about the movie at least is that 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 scene is supposed to ring kind of false as like that is the epitome of her kind of um you know because you don't actually see laroche's character saying all this stuff it just kind of goes into this fantastical space I think it's her sort of exoticizing him and her reading into into him what she wants out of the story. And that's kind of what that's doing, at least, I think. I hope. <laughs> and I think that does kind of ring true in real life, like, you know, depending on what sort of view you have of a person. Like, if you hold them on this pedestal, as uh, Susie did of LaRoche, you know, anything they say, no, ma no matter how ridiculous it sounds, is going, in, it actually sounds, it's going to sound to you like this wonderful narration of some great epic story of, you know, in this case, you know, life-giving relationship between bees and flowers, when really it might just be a load of crap, mm -hmm. but that doesn't matter because this person you're listening to means so much to you. But then at the end of the day, you know, when things settle down and you become sort of more aware of like real life, I really like that scene when they get lost in the swamp and then they finally, or uh, Susie sees this ghost orchid for the first time and she's like, it's just a flower. Exactly. It, does, it, does, it just yeah. flat out doesn't impress her. Yeah, and it feeds back into the whole, you know, thing. I think Coffin's character says it at one point, the theme of the book is disappointment. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't necessarily have a big climax or anything like that. It's just there, and she saw things for what they were, you know, unbeknownst to him having this, you know, exciting affair for her with the mm -hmm. orchid thief. But went through this and came out at the end not really being any better off for it. And that's, you know, kind of a dark metaphor for <laughs> other things well do you Not think get too deep with that. do you think the movie is about disappointment too though maybe if parts of it Not can necessarily. be parts of it can be yeah. definitely and i think it it may 
kind of all hinge on how we view that last scene, not with the flowers, but with his, you know, his conversation with that girl. If you can view it as being disappointed, disappointing of, you know, she's not, doesn't look like she's going to leave the other guy to be with him, even though he's finally got the courage up to say how he feels about her. Right. And in that way it is, it can be disappointing or you can look at it as, I love you too, and it's not disappointing, it's hope, but is it really worth it to have that hope if she's not going to go anywhere with it? But we don't know that. We don't know at the end of the film which direction it's going to take, and that in itself could be viewed as disappointing. I mm. actually would say that, yeah, that, that, like that in itself would be disappointing because, because usually in films when usually in films when when we get that moment at the end, at the end of the film we get we get like we get the next part of the, we get the next part of of the scene like where, where they like after they have prof like professed their love for each other they and they end up like being together and running off into the sunset but we don't get that so it's like is it gonna happen no just flowers some a time lapse that's it and it's like mm -hmm. it's kind of a letdown because 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 what we are used to seeing like you said we don't get mm-hmm I don't know if I would say I was disappointed by the end of the film, but I was very conscious of a lack of resolution. Right, yeah. Call it that. Right. Well, I don't know. I, yeah. The uh, lack of resolution, yeah, it's definitely important. Uh, and especially because we don't really know what happened to Meryl Streep's character. Yeah, it was like, a, yeah, because yeah, it's not about her, essentially, I mm -hmm. think, yeah. As much as some of us might want it to be, right. because <laughs> she's so great. This is, I think, one of my favorite movies that I've seen her in. I struggle to think of another one, um, just because I probably haven't seen enough of her films. Like but, we were uh, talking earlier, this, this is probably my favorite Nick Cage movie. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite Nicolas Cage movie as well. <laughs> followed, followed very closely by National Treasure, I'm not oh, going to lie. It's a dumb, fun movie, and it's just like, okay, fuck it, I'm watching it. That's fair enough. Yeah, um, according to the, the trivia on this one, Nicolas Cage says I, that he, um, he disobeyed every acting instinct he had in this movie and just <laughs> essentially did what the director told him to do. Wow. And it really, I think, is another amazing point of this movie is just that he's playing his own twin brother and you never really stop to think about that. I mean, you kind of just accept it and move on. It's actually done very well and it's very impressive mm -hmm. for yeah. him as an actor, I think. Um, but yeah, the director of this movie, uh, Spike, I've never known how to say it, Johns, I think, or Jones. Um, we'll go with that. Things. Yeah. Um, it, you see, like, um, within the movie, um, shots of being Mon John Malkovich being filmed, uh, which is another kind of mindfuck movie. Um, and then her, y'all might have seen, is the mm -hmm. one where Scarlett Johansson is the AI. So they're kind of, yeah. yeah, they're used to kind of working together on this just kind of really out there um, type movies. But I don't know. I think it, it really, even considering that, you know, this was after being John Malkovich when this guy wrote this screenplay. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the twin brother does not exist, but they put him on the billing for all I the did look that up because I was very confused. Like, I was very right. confused. I was like, I thought Coffin was like, I was like the only one. What the hell? Yeah. I got yeah. very confused for like two seconds. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> No, at the uh, yeah, the Golden Globes supposedly, if they got the award, they were both going to go up there. I'm not sure how that would have uh, <laughs> panned out. But um, no, Charlie Kaufman. You look at look him up. Look at his picture. He is not balding. He is mm -hmm. not fat. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of a character of himself that he wrote into the movie. But he says that um, you know a lot of the emotion that he had, he just kind of exaggerated. It came from like his actual real struggle writing the thing. And when he turned it in, he 
thought it would be the end of his career. So, wow. <laughs> Burn Me just really, I, it's kind of, you know, impossible to separate the film itself from the making of the film. And that's just something I really enjoy about this one, too, is just the risk of that and the, you know, helter-skelter of it is all kind of present in it. But, um, yeah. I know, you guys think we're about ready to round this one out and give scores? Can I make my Tilda Swinton comment? Oh, please. Please do. <laughs> I didn't recognize Tilda Swinton when she first appeared in the movie because this is the most feminine I have ever seen her play. I wouldn't have known if it was, it was her had I not seen her name in the opening credits a few minutes before. Agreed. Like, like, like... This is in no way a negative commentary on Tilda Swinton. I think she's oh. a wonderful, beautiful, fantastic actress. Yes, agreed. But most of the characters I have seen her play have been arguably androgynous or certainly harsher looking characters. And in this film, she played a, you know, softer looking woman. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was mean, taken aback. Nonetheless, I mean, making Nicolas Cage sweat, like, yes. visibly yes. on his face. Visibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, even... Even when she was in, um, when she was in Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as Jadis, the White Witch, it was it, like even then it was just like, nope, it looks more feminine here. Mm-hmm. And and then and then when you and then when you look at how she's playing the ancient one in Doctor in, in Doctor Strange, it's just like, okay, worlds apart. Yeah. Is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah she is playing the ancient one in, in Doctor Strange. She is she is um she is the. The bald, the bald mentor of uh, of, oh yeah, you can uh, see of, it in the trailer. Yeah, 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 she's she's the bald, she's the bald mentor yes. of a a, a Benadryl Cumberbund's character. Benadryl. <laughs> That's the best one I've heard yet. Yes, well done. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'll go ahead and start us off. I'm gonna give this one um, a nine out of ten. I uh, really enjoy it. I think the. Um, just the the challenge of it the the last shot with the time lapse of the flowers just the the jokes the meta jokes uh, the humor still tickles me um it's just there's no other movie like it and uh yeah i'm gonna leave it at that bravo peter you want to go uh i will give it i will give adaptation uh an eight i while 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 earlier I did while earlier I did, I did say it seemed more like a drama to me I, I, I did I did still enjoy the jokes I I, I enjoy I enjoyed uh, going back and forth between between different um like back and forth on like the relative timeline um of of of, of events I I I thought it was really cool seeing 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 uh, seeing Nick Cage play play as play as both um charlie and donald kaufman uh, especially especially when they would be when they were like next to each other like seeing just the difference in like in his acting between those two characters i thought was really i thought was really interesting like i, I don't think i've ever seen him do anything like that um and yeah i, I, I just really enjoyed the film and, and because this was my first time seeing it this is a movie that this is a movie that i know i will like i'll i'll eat whether it's like now or like in some time in the near future i'll go back and watch it so i can like so i can so i can try to further like Part, like like pick everything apart so I can like so I can like really get into it because there was definitely some th- some stuff that like kind of flew over my head but that's just because it's my first time seeing it so yeah all right Sarah I uh, <clears throat> I absolutely agree with Peter and I'm going to give this film an eight as well I really enjoyed it all of the actors did a 
wonderful job. Uh, it's definitely a movie that I want to watch again, um, partly, as Peter said, so I can pick apart all the things that I missed and maybe see if I can get a better grasp on the timelines and maybe a bit more of Nick Cage's relationships between the various characters. Yeah. Because there were a lot of people in this film, some who didn't show up very often, and I think I missed a couple of things. Um, but also to watch it again because it's it's really good. It's a... As I said before, I think it's a very real movie, and uh, it will. Or it feels more real. I mean, obviously, with the Deus Ex alligators and so forth uh, at the end, it, it it gets a bit more fantastical. But it does. It's an interesting commentary on you know the kind of life that a lot of people seem to be feeling right now. So yes, I give it an eight. Is the short answer. <laughs> All right, and. Um... Ben, who is sorry he wasn't able to be here, but this is uh, apparently one of his favorite movies, gave it oh. a 9 out of 10, and I'm just going to go ahead and throw that into the mix for averages since he uh, went in and gave me that score. So that's going to round us out to, um, what's going to bring us up to an 8.5, which I'm going to round up liberally to a 9 out of 10. <laughs> um, I'm okay with that. Because that's, yeah. That's my decision because I took on hosting this week. And um, so Movie Gang Podcast is officially going to give Adaptation a 9 out of 10. And Yay. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close out. Um, be sure to check us out on Tuscan Shed Media, uh, where you can find all of our different podcasts available. We're doing a few different ones. So yeah, go ahead and go on to TuscanShed.com, where you can find all of our different podcasts available for streaming and um, if you like to uh, contribute to our Patreon so we can keep doing this and uh, having fun with it then uh, just go to the tip jar at the top right hand corner of the page for the price of a cup of coffee a day you can help us keep this going so thanks again for tuning in everybody and uh, we'll see you next time this is Trevor Flynn and Peter Danby and Sarah Becker thanks for listening thanks a lot guys